For now, the buffets are on hold at your local market, Big Boy. But that means you get to rediscover their awesome daily menu for dinner tonight. The classic Big Boy, the super Big Boy, or a burger built by you. The sandwich selection includes all of your favorites, including the famous Slim Jim. A full kids menu is also available, so bring the family for dinner tonight. Big Boy is following all safety protocols, so wear your mask until you're seated. Your local market, Big Boy, across from the Holiday Inn, with curbside takeout and DoorDash also still available at your local market, Big Boy. Now back to the sports pen. Here's Tanner Hoop. I do want to talk about what the NBA is doing and what their plan is because tomorrow is a crucial day as far as restarting the NBA season. Plus, just how hard is it to bounce back from losing a Super Bowl? You know, you feel like your window is right there. You have all this encouragement where you're, you know, conference champions. And we're right there. We're right on the cusp. Maybe you just need another piece or so. Not just getting back to the Super Bowl or winning it, but even having success the following year and getting rid of that post-Super Bowl hangover. I'm going to tell you why here a little bit later on in the show. Plus, we're going to learn about one of the newest athletics that is being sponsored at Northern Michigan University, and that is the wide world of eSports. The first ever head coach, William Garetto Balmer is going to join us here on the phone line here in the back end of our show and explain to us exactly what eSports is, how it's going to work at Northern, and what audiences can expect from that. All that more is going to come up through the remainder of our show. But here's where I want to go to and talk about specifically sports-wise is the NBA because tomorrow is a crucial day in trying to restart the NBA season. And that's because there will be a vote between the NBA Board of Governors as to whether you take 22 teams down to Orlando to Walt Disney World and you try to restart the NBA season. So basically you would have 22 teams finish out portions of their remaining regular season schedule and then go into the playoffs. You would have 22 teams alive and would basically compete for a play-in tournament. The remaining eight teams outside of the top seven seeds in each conference would have a play-in tournament essentially to try and get the eight seed and from there who knows what's going to go on what have you so the proposal that's on the table for tomorrow's vote would be between do we want to proceed with a 22 team restart not just a playoff tournament but a restart because at the time that the season was suspended back on march 11th when rudy gobert tested positive for COVID 19 there were some teams that had as many as 19 games left in the regular season. So the NBA is not saying that, you know what, we need to just halt the standings where they were and take those top 16 teams into the playoffs. That You know, the NHL went the route that they're going to halt the season, not finish out the regular season. They're just going to bring in 24 teams. The NBA is going to bring in 22. But the teams that were right on the cusp of making or missing the original playoff cut are going to have the chance to defend that. And again, the teams who don't finish top seven in each conference per the proposal would have to play in a play-in tournament to try to get the eight seed in the NBA playoffs, which we assume would go to a more traditional bracket should it pass. Now, here's the other thing, the other thing that people don't think about when you consider that, and it's the fact that you're going to play all of this on one court at one site in Orlando. Y you don't get that home 
court advantage. You don't get the home crowd that some teams have worked so hard for. Like, why is it fair that the Milwaukee Bucks, who were on their way to the most wins in a regular season in franchise history, will have the same postseason court advantages as, what, the Portland Trailblazers, who are right now the ninth seed in the Western Conference. But the way it is right now, the way this format would be set up, is that those advantages would be the same. Whether you're the one seed in the Eastern Conference or the six seed in the West or the nine seed in the East, you have the same home court advantage. So that's one of the things the NBA Board of Governors is looking into and discussing before their vote tomorrow is what is the advantage that we can give to some teams who did actually have a good regular season and would have had home court during the playoffs. Does that make sense? Am I explaining that the right way in the sense that because the whole tournament's going to be played on one floor and some teams are going to be denied home court advantage that, in other words, they would have rightly earned teams like the Lakers, the Clippers, the Bucks, just a few that come to mind. How do we compensate those teams if we do have our entire postseason tournament on one floor in Orlando in front of no fans, and it's essentially neutral site. How do we compensate those teams? Well, I've got a, in front of me a few of the ideas that have been kicked around by the NBA Board of Governors, and this is what they're going to be talking about as they vote on their proposal tomorrow. These are a few of the ideas as to how they would compensate some of those higher-seeded teams when they do finally have the traditional bracket all set up. Option number one, the higher-seeded team will be awarded the first possession of the second third, and fourth quarters. You would have the traditional jump ball to start the game, but then the team with the higher seed will get the ball, no matter what, no matter where the possession arrow says, they will get the ball for the second, third, and fourth quarter to start things off. That's one of the proposals that's being kicked around. Proposal number two, the higher seeded team will be allowed to designate one player to be whistled for seven personal fouls instead of six and I kind of like that one I mean I know it's a total gimmick and under normal circumstances I would hate that but you got to embrace the asterisk and that's going to be my motto here throughout these tournaments and this weird schedule that COVID-19 has forced us to abide by embrace the asterisk and you know what I'm kind of intrigued to see how that would work. You know, in NBA basketball, you get six fouls before you foul out. So before the game, before the opening tip, each team would get to, or at least the higher-seeded team, would get to decide we get one player that gets an extra foul, that he gets seven fouls before he fouls out. To me, that's uh, it's so gimmicky that under normal circumstances, I wouldn't like it. Here, I think it'd be pretty darn permissible because then you really add in strategy and you see, okay, so which guy is more important to us? Who has, you know, the most fouls per game, what have you? For, for, for fouls per minute might be a better metric. There's some real strategy that goes into that. So really, that's one of my favorite ones, to be honest with you. Not under normal circumstances, because that's way too gimmicky. But for this, for this kind of COVID-19 challenge, I'm okay with that. The third option, the higher-seeded team in the playoffs would receive an extra coaches challenge, which, again, could come into play at some point. You never know. You never know, and I get where that could be handy. Especially in the NFL, I think you would have something like that. But in the NBA, uh, coaches' challenges, they don't seem to hold as much weight as they do in the NFL. I think in the NFL, this would be a much better rule. The NBA still could be a good one, still could be effective. It's not my favorite, though. It's not bad. It's just not my favorite. The fourth, 
thing that's being talked about by the NBA Board of Governors, the higher seeded team would be able to transport their actual hardwood home court from their home arena to Orlando, and then they would lay down that team's actual home court. So the Milwaukee Bucks could say, you know what, for this game we want you to take out the floor that's at Walt Disney World, and we want to bring in the Pfizer form floor all the way from Milwaukee. Somebody's going to ship that down on a flatbed truck piece by piece, and we're going to reassemble it piece by piece here at Walt Disney World. Or the Lakers and Clippers could do that from the Staples Center. The Celtics could do that at the TD Garden with that floor, if applicable. Uh, to me, that's where we start kind of getting way out there. We start reaching way out there. Um, I'd rather do the foul thing, the, where you get to designate one person an extra foul. I'd rather do that, honestly, if I had my choice. And then the final proposal that they've been talking about, and this one is where, you know, if you thought, literally taking a home floor from one city and bringing it to another was wacky this one might take the cake an off-court feature in which playoff teams in the order of seating one through 16 will receive their first choice on picking what hotel they will stay in at the espn wide world of sports complex and disney world center resort espn of course being owned by the walt disney company is that really an advantage is that really an option that the team with the highest seed gets to pick what hotel they stay at? Like, is that supposed to provide a home court advantage? Like, are the hotels going to be so bad where, you know, the one seed you're going to get the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference and they're picking, you know, they're picking, I don't know, what's what's the equivalent, you know, the Hilton or whatever, whatever they have on Disney. They're picking the equivalent of the Hilton and whoever's in, like, the 16 seed gets, like, the Motel 8. Like, I don't think you have that big a diversity on Walt Disney World's campus in Orlando amongst your hotels. It just I don't see how that's a real advantage or even something that people really can be considering. But I kid you not, they are considering that. And this is straight from ESPN's Dave McMenamin, one of our NBA insiders. He was the one who put this report together. These are all proposals that the NBA Board of Governors are actually considering prior to voting tomorrow, whether they should restart and finish out this season at an isolated location in Orlando with 22 teams. Now, the NBA obviously cares about making this thing as presentable as possible, should we say. Uh, they don't want to make it too much of a gimmick, but they do want to provide some kind of advantage to the teams that earned it throughout the regular season. So you're not putting the Bucks and the Magic, the Nets, and the Lakers all on the same floor. You know, you're not putting them on the same you know playing field for lack of a better word it's just it's kind of radical it's i don't know it's gimmicky and you know what i think you can be a little gimmicky in this sense uh, the latter few ideas you know like where one through 16 seeds you know you get to pick your hotel based on how you finished in the standings or you actually take the trouble of taking apart your home court piece by piece and bringing it back to Orlando, that seems a little out there for me. But there is one Western Conference official who Dave, Mc, uh, Dave McMemon chose not to identify that says there's uh, one official that says we should be able to pick who we want to play in the first round based on seeding. So the Lakers, as being the number one seed as it stands right now, would be able to pick their first-round opponent in the Western Conference playoffs. And you know me well enough uh, with my views on how that was presented by Rob Manfred of Major League Baseball to know that I hate that. And I think that's really stupid, even in this sense, even if you want to call it the COVID-19 Cup, 
it is stupid. And I, I just hope pro sports, no matter what our situation is, no matter how dire our situation is, that we never come to that, that we <laughs> are never at the point where you actually have like a game show reality type thing and you're trying to make it, you know, who wants to be a millionaire and you pick your opponent in the first round. I just, I hate that. It doesn't seem like gamesmanship. It doesn't seem like sportsmanship. It's one of those things that's a radical idea. But I tell you what, um, we are going to see how this all transpires and we're going to have clearancy in about 48 hours time or so because the NBA, again, their board of governors are going to have this meeting tomorrow how they are going to proceed with a potential 22-team restart in Orlando, which, by the way, would begin on July 31st with the finals no later. Game 7 of the finals would be October 12th. So we would run from July until October, and we would have a pretty darn good sports schedule by then, if you think about it, because we'll have the NBA, we'll have basketball, uh, we'll have hockey, baseball, and football all in season at the same time, college football as well, college athletics, and it's all going to be going together, and it's all going to be in the thick of things at once. As as terrible as COVID-19 is, and I would not trade it, you know, if it it, it is providing us in a sense that we could get something really, really cool and unprecedented from a sporting aspect this fall. Again, is that as important as COVID-19? Absolutely not. I traded away in a heartbeat for the world to be back at full strength to have normal health but we got to make the best of our situation and we have a really unique opportunity ahead of us this fall with that let's take our next time out when we come back how hard is it to bounce back from a super bowl loss a little bit harder than you might think and the math will back me up next on espn up since before the mighty mac was built embers has been here for the youpers that have made this community what it is in these challenging times we want to say thank you to the selfless men and women that show what it means to be youper strong. And even as we adapt, we will never stop living it up. You've been here for us, and we are here for you. We are never more than a call, click, or tap away. We're Ember's Credit Union. We will get through this together. You know, one of the things I love about shopping at Todd Econo Foods is the amount of community involvement. Yes, I shop there because of the fresh produce and full-service meat counter and the incredible deli. But it also makes me feel good to shop somewhere that does so much charity work for our community. Just one more reason to shop at Todd Econo Foods. Now back to the sports pen. Here's Tanner Hoops. Here's your Sports Center update. Awesome news. The Bowling Green Baseball Program, which was originally cut due to financial fallout from COVID 19, will survive. They've been saved by donors who pitched in to contribute $1.5 million. The program will not go dormant, and they will plan to play for the upcoming season. Really good news, and, you know, America needs that right now. We need as much good news as we can get. Speaking of good news involving baseball teams, the Tampa Bay Rays have pledged to commit $100,000 per year to organizations designated to combat systematic racism, again, with the current 
climate in our country right now, I'm really happy to see that as well. And finally, the proper term for describing a family of otters include rafts or rafts. That is your Sports Center update. Delighted to have you along as always. Tanner Hoops here as we get into the back half of our show. How hard is it to bounce back from a Super Bowl loss? Well, last couple of decades, coupled with Vegas odds, will tell us that it's pretty darn hard to bounce back. Once you get that Super Bowl hangover specifically on a losing effort, it's pretty darn hard to bounce back. In fact, out of the last 19 years with this year's 49ers team rounding out the 20 the last two decades, we don't know how they're going to finish yet. Out of the last 19 years, only five teams that lost the Super Bowl the previous season came back to win more games than they were expected to that year. Those teams being the Atlanta Falcons in 2017. They were projected to win 9.5 games. Interpret that, 9.5, whatever, however you want. They ended up going 10-6. and six. You had the Denver Broncos in 2014. They were projected to win 11.5 games. They won 12. The 49ers a year before that, 11.5 game projected winners. They won 12 as well. You go a little bit further to Pittsburgh Steelers in 2011, coming off their loss to Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in 2010. They were projected to win 10.5 games. They went on to win 12. And then the Arizona Cardinals in 2009, coming off their loss to Pittsburgh, they were projected to win 8.5 games. They ended up going 9-7. and seven. So out of the last 19 years, only five teams that lost the Super Bowl the previous year actually exceeded expectations the following year. And I'll go through this list a little bit more just to give you a little bit of context. The L.A. Rams, they lost Super Bowl 53 just a couple of years ago. That would have been January 2019. They were projected to win 10.5 games the following season. They went 9-7. and seven. The Patriots, a year before that, projected to win 11 games. They went 11-5, and five, so they were par even. You had the Carolina Panthers projected to go 10-5 and five the year after they lost the Super Bowl to Peyton Manning. They went 6-10 and 10 that following year. The Seattle Seahawks in 2015 projected to win 11 games. They won 10. You had the New England Patriots in 2012. They won 12 games as they were projected to, so they broke even. The Indianapolis Colts in 2010 projected to win 10.5 games. They won 10. They went 10-6. and six. The New England Patriots back in 2008 after losing to Eli Manning the first time projected to, to win 12 games the following year. They won 11. The Chicago Bears after losing to Indianapolis in the 2007 season, they were projected to win 10 games. They went 7-9. and nine. 2006, Seattle after losing to Pittsburgh projected to win 10.5 games. They won 9. Philadelphia the year before that, 11.5 game. Uh, 11.5 wins was their projection. They won six. Carolina, the year before that, losing at the last second to New England on a last second field goal from Adam Vinatieri, projected to win 8.5 games. They won seven. The Oakland Raiders, the year before that, after losing to Tampa and John Gruden, 9.5 wins was their projection. They went four and 12. They were a disaster that year. The St. Louis Rams, the year before that, projected to win 11 games. They went seven and nine. And then the New York Giants, following their loss to Baltimore in the Super Bowl, projected to win nine games. They went seven and nine. So as you're seeing, the pattern here is that it's extremely unlikely that a team that does finish as the NFL runner-up, they win their conference, they lose in the Super Bowl, it's extremely unlikely. And the last couple of decades show us that one in every four actually goes on to exceed expectations the following years. And you go a little bit deeper with that, and a lot of these teams continue to fall off. They make the Super Bowl at the peak of their championship window. They don't get it 
and then they start to fall away to obscurity, like we're seeing with the L.A. Rams right now. Sean McVay talked about as just the absolute brilliant, the newcomer that was going to design NFL coaching for a, new, a, a whole generation, and he couldn't sustain it. And the Rams are slowly dissolving away. They didn't even make the playoffs last year. I think they're going to finish last in their division this year. I really do. And the numbers will back that up throughout the last couple of decades. So what are we saying about this year's NFL runner-up? This, from this past January, the San Francisco 49ers, a team that led 20-10 to 10 over Kansas City in the Super Bowl with about, what, eight minutes to go in that game? And they gave up 21 unanswered points in the last eight minutes of the Super Bowl and end up losing. Well, the 49ers will come in at plus 800 odds to improve on last year's regular season, according to Vegas. Right now, the 49ers are projected to win 10.5 games. Right now, if you're in, you know, to simplify that, if you're putting money on this, if you're playing the Vegas odds, you're starting to think, I'm betting against the 49ers as far as them being as good as they were last year. And honestly, that's the take I would give. I, I, I'm not through working out my full predictions for the NFL divisions and how they're going to shake out this year. I'm going to have those, I hope, relatively soon. I know that there's a lot that can shake out here with training camps and what have you. But I don't have San Fran repeating as NFC West champions. And the Vegas odds themselves, weirdly enough, say that San Fran as a whole, the Vegas odds, I should say, as a whole, say that San Fran is going to be the number one seed in the NFC playoffs this year. I don't see that. I see Seattle winning that division. I can see where this trend continues, where a team that made the Super Bowl and they lose it continue to slide down the mountain rather than go up it. Because, let's be honest, it was their defense, San Fran's defense, that got them to where they were last year, that got them to being a competitive team, a team that was capable of winning the Super Bowl. It wasn't their offense. It was by Jimmy Garoppolo being a game manager. You didn't need Jimmy Garoppolo to win you a game. It was that defense. It was so good. They lose to Forrest Buckner. I get it. They use that draft pick they got back from Indianapolis. They draft Jamon Kinlaw, who was the best run stopper in this year's draft. But is he immediately going to turn into the Forrest Buckner? I don't think so. And I don't know how much better they got offensively losing Matt Breida losing the, the Godwin kid going over to Philadelphia. I, I see San Fran taking a step back this year. As much as I like Kyle Shanahan, I think that Seattle's had a really good offseason. Frankly, I think Seattle had the team that they could have beaten San Fran last year. It, it very, They were literally one inch away from getting the number one seed in the NFC playoffs. San Fran was. A goal line stop saved Seattle from getting that number one seed in the NFC playoffs, and then think how differently things could have looked. We could have had a Seattle-Kansas City Super Bowl rather than a San Fran-Kansas City Super Bowl. And you think about it, and I, I really do believe that Seattle is going to win that division this year, and Arizona will challenge San Fran because I think Arizona is better, or is more sound at least, on both sides of the ball. I know they're better offensively than San Francisco, and I think they're pretty darn sound defensively, albeit San Fran's explosive power probably gives them a little bit of an edge. But it's not by much. And that's why I'm saying that if you are somebody who plays the Vegas odds and you're thinking about this from maybe a gambling man's perspective, what have you, it, it might be a good idea to bet against San Francisco this year. I, I think they'll be a playoff team. 
especially with the expanded playoff, now that we're going to get seven teams in each conference, but with less than 99 days from the time that we kick off the new NFL season, right now I look at Seattle's roster, and I like it better overall than San Francisco's. I think Seattle does end up winning that division, and I think Arizona makes a strong case to contend with San Francisco for that division, especially with DeAndre Hopkins being there. Again, a lot of that depends on how uh, Javon Kinlaw is going to mold into an NFL player. Is he going to be a bust, or is he going to settle right in and kind of be that DeForest Buckner type of run stopper that San Fran traded away in order to draft him? That's going to be the biggest key, in my mind, for San Francisco this year. But if you're like me, and you're thinking about this in terms of Vegas odds, the money right now is against San Fran to be what they were last year. I don't think they're going to the Super Bowl. I don't think they're going to win that division. I do think they'll be a playoff team. But the money right now says plus 800 on San Fran to at least match expectations, which, again, is 10 and a half uh, wins this for this upcoming season. I, I don't think they're going to do that. I think that division has gotten too good. It's too competitive. That's maybe the best division in football. And right now, to me, if I'm a, a betting man, I'm calling Vegas and saying, no, I'm taking the money against San Fran, and I'm saying they take a step back this year. Maybe not a huge step, a monumental step. They'll be a good team, make no doubt. I don't think they're going to be as good as the team they put on the field last year. We're going to take our last time out. When we come back, a new kind of sport coming to the UP, and that's eSports. I, I tell you what, I have a lot of questions, which I'm thankful for because we have a lot of answers coming our way because the first ever head coach in the history of the Northern Michigan eSports program, William Garrido Balmer is going to join us on the other side of this break and tell us what exactly is eSports and what Northern fans can expect from it. Next on ESPN-UP. Lawns and gardens grow better on topsoil than on rocks. Ishpeming Concrete is now open for you to get your planting season started. Get a half yard of topsoil gently loaded into your pickup truck for just 18 bucks. That's a whole lot less than the 25 bags you'd need from the home store. Sweeten up your plantings and fix your lawn from the ravages of winter. Topsoil, the softer side of Ishpeming Concrete, 400 Stone Street behind Robin's Flooring, open weekdays 8 till 4.30, locally owned with a total commitment to quality, there's no contact paying with a credit card, and you don't need to leave your vehicle. Now open Saturdays, 7 to noon. Now back to the Sports Pen, here's Tanner Hoop. or get our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. Tanner Hoops here as we wind down today's show. We're joined by William Garretto Balmer. He is the first head coach in the history of the Northern Michigan eSports program. He's kind enough to lend us his time and help us introduce him to the Marquette community and vice versa and his program to the community as well. William, first of all, welcome to the area. Thank you for being on. Thank you for having me. Well, tell me first and foremost, and give our listeners a little bit of an idea, what exactly is eSports? Because it's fledgling, although I'm, it, it seems to be growing around the country. eSports is competitive video games. It's uh, something that's been around for a long time. It was big in Korea initially, and then it made its way to the States, and it has become more and more mainstream every year. And it's getting to the point where it's competing with the traditional sports uh, with their average attendance 
and people watching it. Well, what kind of games do you play? I mean, do you play actual sports games, or is it something else? The most typical esports are not the you know simulation games of you know uh, sports like football and whatnot. They're um, MOBAs, which is multi online battle arenas. They're uh, first person shooter games. They're fighting games. They're real time strategy games. They're so, and the most popular ones are League of Legends, uh, Overwatch, CS:GO, Counter Strike Global Offensive, and what's the fourth big one? Just look one starcraft 2 well perfect how did you start to get involved into esports and specifically when did you decide that coaching was a route you wanted to go for me i had always been a traditional sport athlete when i was growing up and i played you know video games on the side type of deal and then when i got into college i unfortunately you know retired from traditional sports due to an injury and but i still had that competitive edge that i wanted to find and i transitioned my you know hobby of esports and made it my passion and I've been just divided I dove myself completely into that realized that I you know was better off as a coach than as a player just because I knew all the knowledge that I had was you know good and I had the traditional sports background that I could bring into it but I didn't have the you know capabilities as a player well, and you come to Northern from Western Michigan's program, and you started building that fledgling program up. Tell me about your time at Western. With Western, uh, initially I went just as a member. It was a uh, League of Legends uh, just group. It was a club. There was not much uh, going on. Then my junior year, the old president left, and he said, hey, do you want to take over? I said, sure. And then I, you know, decided, you know, I don't want it to be just a club. I wanted to, you know, try to make it something bigger. So I took it from just being about, you know, hobby, playing the games, to making it for the competitive scene. And then next year I decided with some help from the university that why just do League of Legends? Why not do all the esports? So we added four new games and, you know, got big. We built an arena down there. We built a, a computer area for everyone to use. It just and the school is very supportive. Tell me what an arena looks like for esports. I mean, you know, it's something you can do online, so there's not a lot of travel. But if you wanted to, could you travel? Like, you know, say Michigan Tech has an esports team, and you wanted to do an in-person match. Could could you do that? Yes, uh, it's a big thing that for the esports, e the competitions they have it where they set the people up in like uh, a studio type of area. And they have monitors showing them like playing the game, and then on, they have on the big screen, uh, you know, think of it. They they've done it at the Med Medicine Square Garden uh, Arena. They've done it at Staples Center. They've done it big everywhere. It's just pretty much you go there. It's the same thing. You're watching the game. You're, it's the same thing of going to a football game. So tell me about how you coach esports. I mean, is it about all about preparation, preparing the athletes, or how much interaction do you actually have with the athletes during the uh, during the game? Uh, it, that depends on which esport it is, because it used to be uh, for uh, some games that you could be there while the game was going on, like talking to the players in their headsets, you know, telling them what to do. Then that you know some games moved away from that, making it so that you know it had to be completely player driven. Some kept it around, but it's all about preparation nowadays, where you have to get, make the players, you know, know the game plan, know what the enemy team's going to be doing, what they're, and you know what they're going to be trying to, how to win the game.
is there any kind of special practice or preparation that you go through, or is it pretty much, you know, you live every kid's dream, you know, you get to play video games? <laughs> uh, there are a few ways of practicing. The You can either have the players just use solo uh, queue, which is a way of practicing where it's just the players are individually playing with random people across the you know, nation or across the world and just, you know, indiv- working on their individual skills. You can have them go into custom lobbies and play scrimmages against other teams, or you can have them go into a, it's called a practice mode, where you can have them work on one specific thing over and over, kind of like, you know, for football, you're doing a drill over and over until they get it right. How about you, William? What's your favorite eSport, whether it be to coach or to play? Oh, League of Legends has been my main for the longest time. It was sort of the one that, you know, got me hooked, where it was went from being just a hobby to being my, you know, my life's worth. We've got William Garetto Balmer on the line with us. He is the first Northern Michigan eSports head coach in program history. What was it about Northern and building a program up from scratch that enticed you to want to take this job? Or was the, uh, the fact that you're building a program from the ground up, was that something that directly brought you to Northern, or was that just kind of how it, how it worked out? Well, with me being from Western and from the Michigan area, I had known uh, you know, the feel for what eSports is popular around there that type of deal, and I looked for, you know, something I, that I could work to build up again, because that was something I loved with Western, and I got to build it from scratch there, and I, get, I wanted to do it again, and Northern, you know, happened to be the perfect fit. So how do you go about building a roster? First of all, are there any roster capacity limits, anything like that, and how do you go about recruiting, you know, athletes to be on this team? Uh, for all, I'll just use one game, League of Legends. There are five starters for the League of, for League of Legends. They have five players. Uh, each one does a specific role, and then you can have five additional subs for the most for the biggest competition, which is College of Legends. So you can have a total of ten players on the roster. So how about you know when you get into trying and making a schedule and you know uh, esports has that advantage over traditional sports where you can do it virtually online while we're social distancing. Are you uh, or where are you as far as progress putting together a schedule for your first season? Oh, uh, right now we're still in the recruiting factor because with it being a brand new program, there wasn't actually anything. You know, s- there wasn't a roster that I inherited. I have to recruit all the new players into it which is you know, an interesting process, something that I didn't have at Western because, you know, I had built up, you know, little by little as I grew. But, you know, it's something that I look forward to, you know, figuring out, and hopefully I get it, you know. So technically strong. it's a non-varsity sport. What does that mean as far as differentiating between uh, varsity sports like football or basketball? Does it affect, like, you know, if you have scholarships or what kind of contact you can have with your athletes, what have you? Uh, well, we're working, at, I think we are working at the varsity level, where it's, we do have scholarships, we do have, but the biggest difference with us and other sports, uh, but it's the same for alpine skiing, is we have a co-ed, so we're working where we have boys and girls in the same teams, so it's a different atmosphere as other sports, but uh, right now with, you know, the social distancing and, you know, that type of stuff, it's making it a little bit harder, but... The great thing about esports is so much of you know all of it you can still handle online. It's like not as personal right now, which is you know kind of a, a letdown, but it's still 
manageable. So are the teams actually co-ed, or do you have opportunities to play, you know, have a men's team and a women's team, or is it strictly co-ed? Uh, you, if you wish to, you can have a women's and men's team, but it's there is no uh, restrictions at all. Who is the governing body for eSports? Is it through the NCAA? Is there any special kind of compliance that you have to go through? Uh, the most, the biggest one for eSports right now is a thing called NACE. It's similar to NCAA in how they govern and everything. It just has, you know, different rules slightly, you know, even though the NCAA has made changes that are kind of similar to with NACE, where because with eSports, a lot of people want to build their brands. You know, they want to make money off their brands. There's this uh, website called Twitch where players are, you know, stream their gameplay, try to get uh, community growing, trying to get, you know, some money while they're streaming, try to, you know, build it up. Is the big, one of the easier ways to get into the professional scene is to have a brand with you. So give me a timeline of what your first season is going to look like. When do you expect to start having matches, what have you, or when are championships, things like that? Uh, well, for the first year... We're hoping to have the team set up uh, by the start of school year, where we're but we are going to have open tryouts for you know northern students that you know want to try to get onto the team. <coughs> we'll be starting competition right away in a few uh, amateur leagues, such as uh, uh, Phoenix Rising League, and then in the spring semester is the big league, which is College League of Legends for. Um, League of Legends, and there's also a Collegiate Star League, which is one of the bigger governing bodies for uh, college esports. Have you seen that there's been like interest, or if not curiosity, from the public? Because I think there's a lot of people that, you know, myself included, I'm learning a lot right now about esports that I didn't know before. Yeah, I mean, there's a big interest in from the community. They're just wondering, you know, what is it going to be like? Is it just, you know, a bunch of kids just in their, be you know, uh, bedrooms just playing the game or is it going to be a, you know a team that you know the community can build around and that's one thing that's the stigma that I wanted to break and to show that we're like any other sport we are going to be a team in there we're going to be a commute we're going to build a community we're going to show that we can compete traditionally are there spectators at events like this uh, for professional leagues yes there are uh, you can go and watch the games at the uh, facilities, they're even one of the bigger things for League of Legends and North America one. Uh, after the games are done, which is fun, uh, they go up and, you know, high-five the players. Obviously, that, you know, has been, you know, stopped and it's gone all virtual for, you know, now. But that was, you know, it's one of the unique things about esports. It has a grassroots feel, but it's more and more professional every time. So do you have an arena set up or a place where you're going to have your competitions at Northern, or is that kind of a work in progress? Uh, right now we're working on construction of building a 30-computer uh, facility in Hardin Hall, and it will be up and running hopefully by the time uh, the school year starts, but obviously we're not fully do sure. Do you have an idea of maybe some of your recruits, or do you have any recruits that you're excited about coming up? Uh, I'm in the talks with a few players. I have some coming that I'm talking with some international players because that's the big thing also. While North America scene, you know, has the, you know, a good route, the best players come from Korea, come from China. So, you know, we want to try to look international, try to get some of those players in and, you know, try, while still bringing the best from NA.
I tell you what, we're talking with William Garetto Balmer. He is the first esports coach in the history of the Northern Michigan University program. Have you had a chance to look around, Marquette? William, what do you think of the community? I'm, I was only there for the three days, but and I drove around. Obviously, I couldn't really go into anything because there was a 14-day uh, self-quarantine because I was coming from outside the Upper Peninsula. But just getting in to drive around the city and seeing it was beautiful. The lake was beautiful, even though I'm from Chicago and I get to see you know Lake Michigan, Lake Superior, you know, <laughs> completely different look with the you know mountains and you know the forests and everything around. Did you get to come up here during the nice 80-degree sunshine, or were you up here for more of the, the rain, what have you? It snow not too long ago either. Um, for one day, I got the nice sunshine day, and the other two were raining all the time. <laughs> well, hopefully we get a few more uh, days like that, some rain and some sunshine, and uh, we can uh, get you up here and get your program underway. That was great stuff, William. I'm, I'm curious, and I'm excited to see how everything works out for you. I'm sure you and I will talk again soon. Thanks for your time. Thank you. That's it for us here in ESPN-UP. Back on tomorrow, 4 Eastern, 3 Central. It's my hope you join me. Until then, I'm Tanner Hoopster, ESPN-UP, WZAM, Ishpeming Marquette.